and welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. It's good to be here in spring with you, Lara Coffer. How you doing? I'm good. I, there's sun shining. I'm, I'm happy to be here and uh, share some great wine. Yeah, I'm so excited. We're finally in, I think, my favorite wine and food pairing season. All the goodies start to come alive. We start to see all the green. It's been raining like crazy in Napa, but I'm actually here on the East Coast right now where the sun is shining and I think the weather is slightly warmer than California. So I don't know what that says about the upcoming year, but I'm just going to go with it. Feels right. We are here on this third episode of our four-part mini-series featuring Michelin-starred chefs from all across the country and to celebrate spring with some Nordic cuisine, which I think does such a great job at showcasing all of those great flavors. We have Chef Emma Bengston from Aquavit, two Michelin-starred restaurant in New York City. Welcome, Chef. Hello and good day. It is very sunny outside. I, I chose to sit in front of the window so I could see a little bit of it today. Thank you for having me. We are delighted that you could take time out of your incredibly busy schedule. You are literally in your chef coat, sitting at the restaurant between service, between lunch and dinner service, uh, squeezing us in. So we're very, very grateful that you're here to talk about all things Nordic cuisine. I think this is going to be a great episode. We've talked a lot about what grows together, goes together. And of course, we're not going to be focusing on wines from your neck of the woods, but we are going to be focusing on all of those great spring flavors, all of those great pairings, and of course, what you're doing at the restaurant. But before we get into that, we have a few things to talk about in the way of cultural events. Laura, it's been a busy couple weeks, hasn't it? Yeah, some shockwaves sent through the industry, I mean really through through every industry with the Silicon Valley Bank news and in particular what that's done uh, to the world of wine and in Napa. Yeah, I think everyone is sort of caught up on what's been going on with Silicon Valley Bank and uh, all the turmoil that that has caused. I'm not sure how many people know how deeply the wine community was affected by that. We, of course, heard all about the tech and the people that were um, banking with Silicon Valley Bank when it unfortunately ceased to exist. But I think what a lot of people don't know is that Silicon Valley Bank was a bank that a lot of the wineries in Napa Valley, up and down California, and even into parts of Washington and Oregon, were doing serious business with. And this has been a mainstay of the wine industry, so much so that a few episodes ago, we we talked about the fact that Silicon Valley Bank and Rob McMillan there puts out an annual report. And this is a report that we have leaned on for, I don't know, the better part of a decade at least, for all of our insight into marketing, trending, all of the reports in terms of who's buying what and why. But it looks like Silicon Valley Bank may actually have some interested parties in acquiring their wine division, which I think is light at the end of the tunnel, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I think that last I saw it was like positioned as an asset. So the the wine division, along with that state of the industry report, should live on in its kind of entirety, but maybe under under different ownership. I think it was a pretty panicked Friday a couple of weeks ago, but I can say you know safely that the people here in Napa, everyone's still humming along and and doing fine. I think we're gonna hopefully. I'll learn something from this. I don't know what that something is, but I look forward to seeing what the pivot is because we all know the wine industry is plagued with lots of crazy things that happen. So this is, I think, just one of those things, but hopefully sun shining ahead for us. In other news, Laura, it's a good thing you and I left our jobs in the restaurant because it looks like we might be soon replaced by robots. 
Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, they're out to get our jobs. <laughs> well, I, I think everyone's had a lot of fun with this ch- uh, chat GPT and it got into law school and it's now a doctor and someone put it through their, their master sommelier exam, some examinations for the court of master sommeliers. So it did well. It passed an intro level exam. It did well on an advanced exam. So crazy. You know, we we spoke about this this week as a team and we do work with a master sommelier and he said, didn't pass tasting. <laughs> so <laughs> we are all we are all safe. Yeah. It's been fun to see this technology kind of being wielded uh, into the beverage world. I, I saw it like made a great cocktail the other day. And this is the future. It's super interesting. I had some questions around this though, Laura. Like I know I've, I sat for the certified exam years ago and I know you've sat for advanced and for a master as well and you're, you're an advanced sommelier, but are the tests, you can't like get access to these tests, right? No. Okay. If there's tests floating around, they're, you know, cobbled together from past exams that people remember. So they're not out there that you can search. So I think someone okay. like put together, um, you know, a, a certain level of an exam and let this robot go to town on it. I thought it was really interesting that in the advanced level, it only got like in the 70s. Yeah, it only got like a 70, which is good. I mean, that yeah. exam is incredibly difficult, but um, it's not 100%. Like still room for for improvement on the chat bot. I mean, it's obviously a lot of like rote memorization on your part, especially in the, in the advanced level, but there's also a lot of like theory involved with that level of testing in which mm-hmm. you have to combine a lot of different pieces of information, producer knowledge, even just knowledge of like what the wines themselves taste like. So I think from that aspect, like there is an art form that exists within this testing that I'm not sure a computer will get to, but I don't know, flash forward a year from now and I may be eating my words. <laughs> Last but not least, kind of something, well, I shouldn't call it fun, but it is kind of like, have you been watching any of the Gwyneth Paltrow trials? I've seen bits and pieces and uh, this piece of it did catch my eye. This was funny. So Gwyneth Paltrow, God love her. She's been such a hoot to watch in the courtroom because she's being accused by this guy of crashing into him while they were skiing. And her contention is that she was in front of him. He crashed into her. And by the way, this was like seven years ago. This is like not yesterday. But this guy who's in his 70s, Terry Sanderson, he's a retired eye doctor, is saying that he has, quote, lost the ability to function at a high level. It also said that he has traumatic brain damage and some of the things that have happened after the incident were he stopped being able to do some of the activities he loved, which included wine tasting. So Ms. Paltrow skiing into this human allegedly has caused him to not be able to enjoy wine in the ways that he once could. And I don't even know if, can you put a price tag on that? I mean, if I lost the ability (laughs) to enjoy wine. (laughs) Yeah. What is he suing her for? Oh, actually, it's not that much. It's 300000 Well, that's a lot. But like, if you're going to take Gwyneth Paltrow to court- For not being able to taste wine anymore or enjoy wine, millions. Chef, what's the number for you? If somebody told you tomorrow that like you can't taste wine or food anymore, what's the number? I was going to say, I don't don't think I want to- Lose my ability to taste food. I, I unfortunately, I can say I probably can live without the wine, but the food will will not work for me. <laughs> that would be a much higher sum for sure. I'm actually kind of oddly with you. I know my entire career is in wine, but like if I couldn't taste food anymore, I don't know. I'd be I'd be hangry like all the time. It'd be a long road, long lonely road. <laughs> I think by the time this episode comes out, we should have some clarity as yeah. to who is winning this 
trial. I think it's supposed to wrap up the next few days after we finish this. Crazy stuff going on in the world right now, but not as crazy as these insane and wonderful reviews that we've been getting from you guys. I can't thank you enough. We've gotten so many great new reviews in the last few weeks. So I'm going to take the time to read one because we are just so appreciative. And if you leave us a review, which is so helpful for this podcast, we will select one and we'll read it on the show. And this one is from, oh, it's like that, question mark. Um, And it's titled Obsessed. It is a five-star review. Those are our preferred kinds of reviews. This one says, (laughs) I came across Wine Access Unfiltered about a month ago. Welcome to the show. And have been binging it ever since. I kid you not, I've learned more from this pod than I did during my previous year with three wine club memberships. Let's give it up for our Wine Access Unfiltered podcast. Yes. Wine club. I can't get enough. And I've started implementing some of the things I've learned. Wines like port, which I didn't used to like, are now enjoyable since I learned how to pair them with food. Listening to Amanda and Vanessa feels like hanging with the girls, also with Laura. And this pod is a must for anyone who enjoys wine or is curious about wine. I swear to God, we did not pay for this review. This is a legit review. Totally earned. But we are so grateful for these reviews and especially an enthusiastic one like that. And it's really really lovely to hear how many of you are learning from this podcast. I think, you know, our 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 intent was always to entertain with this podcast and to bring people in from all walks of life and talk about wine and talk about food. But the education component has been really gratifying for me and I'm sure for you too, Laura. I mean, I know you love wine education as much as I do. Absolutely. It's And it's nice to know that people are just receiving it so well Yeah, because it's interesting to us and um, there's nothing better than sharing that interest. We have the best yes. job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for that review. If you were on YouTube, go ahead and give us a thumbs up and you know a little comment on this is nice as well. And if you are listening to this podcast via one of your preferred platforms, like I said, those reviews are super helpful. This is also my cue to let you know that if you're enjoying this and you want to keep learning, the best way to do that is to do it in tandem with the wine club. So you can listen or watch this show and then you can enjoy the bottle of wine that we're enjoying on it as we talk about it. So it's a great way to sort of be involved in the conversation. It's a great way to learn, you know, in multiple different ways, right? You're listening, you're watching, you're tasting. It's like you have your own little like wine class, but it's so much more entertaining because we're doing it. All the information to join the wine club is in the description below. Grab your wines because we're coming back. We've got Chef with us to talk about all things Nordic cuisine. See you in a second. All right. Well, we are back. I've got wine in my glass. Laura's got wine in your glass. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Amazing. Mm. Chef, you're uh, drinking between shifts, yeah? No. Well, I have the bottle here, but (laughs) I'll taste it. We're not going to ruin tonight's dinner service by uh, you getting sloshed in a little white burgundy, especially because you are... A rare breed, which is unfortunate to say, but you are one of only a handful of Michelin-starred female chefs, and you actually have two stars at Aquavit in New York City. You were the first female Swedish chef to win two stars and only the second female chef in the United States to do so. I know you've talked with Chef Kren about this at length, but I read some of the things uh, that you've mentioned, but how that is possible is beyond me probably for another podcast, you were inspired to cook by your grandmother. And I love that because you have brought all of those talents and hopefully some of her teachings here to New York City. So I'm excited to learn a little bit about what you learned, what you're doing at the restaurant. 
And interestingly, and this was probably one of the most interesting takeaways for me as I, as I was doing a little research, I didn't know that you started at Aquavit as a pastry chef before moving to executive chef, which is kind of an unusual transition, right? It is not the most common. No, I'm pretty sure you can even count those transitions on a hand or two. I was uh, trained in culinary school a long time ago to do savory. So I do have it in my background. I actually ended up doing pastry untrained from the beginning. So I did a switch Mm. 20 years ago, 25 years ago already to something I didn't know anything about. So I switched back again. So you're equipped. You know what it's like to just dive in headfirst and uh, learn as you go, huh? It's terrifying. But at the same time, I've always, I think, chased things that I was scared of and things that might challenge me and, and put me in an uncomfortable position. And that has uh, made me grow, I think, in a bigger and better way than uh, if I would have just follow along the normal path of living. And you're certainly in one of the most difficult markets in the world in New York City. So I, I can't imagine it's been super easy there, but you've you've been crushing it. In fact, the restaurant had a star when you arrived and it got two stars when you were promoted to head chef, which is very, very impressive uh, for anyone to get two stars. But I think you made that transition look super easy. And even just in looking at the website, even though I worked across the street for years at the core club, I've never dined at Aquavit, but I was looking at the website and I was like, damn, she does a lot. Like you do lunch service, dinner service, private events, like buyouts of the restaurant, private events in the restaurant. You do like take home stuff. You're doing an Easter brunch. Like I was like, when does this woman sleep? I was going to say, like- you make me tired just <laughs> listening to that. Do I do all of that? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Well, cheers to that. And in our glass today, Laura, we've got a delicious white burgundy, which I'm never opposed to having in my glass. And I assume you're similar. I will never say no. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a little bit of white burgundy. Uh, we're going blanc. So this is uh, Domaine Cordier Père et Fille. Beautiful pronunciation. Oh, thank you. <laughs> burgundy has really its two grapes, the Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. This is a Chardonnay and it's coming from Mecon, so a little bit further south in Burgundy. But this is actually a single vineyard wine, so very impressive for this kind of bottling. Absolutely. The appellation is the entirety of Burgundy, but this really narrows in on, on a single place, single family production that's, you know, been in the family for years and really been lauded as, as a top producer. So really beautiful wine, like nice golden color. which Mm -hmm. I really like. It's really golden color. Where is that coming from? Do you know? It's done in old oak. It's not any new oak. So Mm -hmm. a little bit of oxygen gets in there and like anything, like, you know, oxygen starts to to work its magic and will kind of change the color of a wine. But it's got a real nice freshness still on the nose and very like orchard fruit and flowers. And yeah, I'm really excited about this. Me too. I think when I first tasted this wine – I was struck by like the purity and the freshness of it, but there's also so much depth and texture, which those things don't often go hand in hand. Like you kind of sometimes have to pick a lane. I think Burgundy in particular is one of those places that sometimes does allow you to have both, but like purity, texture, freshness, expression of terroir, these are all things that are not only important for wine, but also for food. 
So I think when we're talking about Nordic cuisine, this is just such a perfect way to highlight that, especially as we get into these warmer spring months where we're not like quite ready to leave like texture and richness behind, but like we are ready for something like a little brighter and a little zippier. So chef, I want to talk to you a little bit about Nordic cuisine in general. How would you characterize Nordic cuisine? What do you think the identity of that is? I think the core fundamental to Nordic cuisine is seasonality uh, and preservation, how to survive throughout the long winters and how to preserve everything you have in the summer. So a lot of techniques that have surfaced within the last decade or so that people are considering new and fresh techniques are, are the core fundamentals of what Nordic cuisine is about, where the, the curing and pickling, smoking, brining, uh, all of those techniques has been around for a very long time. Uh, and that is, that was a way of how do you take what grows in two, three months and survive on it for nine, 10 months without any, like we have our refrigeration now, we have our freezers, right? But back in the days, you didn't have that luxury. So how do you keep the, the fish throughout a year and are still be able to enjoy it? So I think the true seasonality farm to table is uh, very uh, Nordic cuisine. What are some of the like preserved staples that you either keep in the restaurant or keep at home, like on hand in the kitchen? Like if you open up any Swedish person's cabinet, like what will they have? Uh, any Swedish person? I'm not sure, but I would bet maybe pick, <laughs> pickled cucumber would, would probably be there or uh, preserved lingonberries or berries in general. We love mm. love storing all our uh, all our berries in different ways from cloud berries to lingonberries. So I, I'm pretty sure we find that. Um, we do have this strange food technique where we cure a uh, cod roll and put it on a tube and uh, it lasts for a couple of years. A <laughs> couple of years? We call it callus caviar and it's uh, probably not the most gourmet thing to eat, <laughs> but it's, it's one of the things we grow up with, I guess, as a kid. Do you ever try to throw any of those things into the menu at Aquavit and like push the boundaries for the common American diner? I have uh, cured and, and done it in our own way, not to buy it pre-done, but uh, where you actually get the cod, the way you get the roe out of the, the fish and, and you cure it yourself. So we've have done that and it's really delicious to be able to um, not just utilize uh, the uh, more exclusive caviars out there, but actually be able to use the fish roe that comes from uh, a common fish like cod or something like that. So how much preservation are you doing at the restaurant? I mean, I know you're keeping it very seasonal, but are you leaning into the traditions of preservation via Nordic cuisine? We do a lot of preservation techniques uh, in the restaurant. It, it is the core of our cuisine. So the fridges are constantly full of uh, pickled things, everything from berries to fish to vegetables, curing, smoking, sausage making, brining, pretty much everything you can think of. And when you're building dishes with these these things, and I think about the preserved items, I, I keep on hand like smoked salmon and pickled vegetables, Like, and you're building a dish, how do you think about balancing maybe those things that are saltier and, and kind of stronger in flavor with other things that are going to make up the plate? 
I think everyone would say there's a bit of a science to when you start building your dishes, right? You start with, in my version, I always like to start with uh, what's the protein I'm using? What's the seasonality of the vegetables? And then go from there. Obviously, our cuisine is very high in, in salt, umami, bitter, and sour. So you want to have those textures and, and you start thinking about would the right thing to add on be a pickle red onion or something? I always say, when in doubt, just put some pickles on it. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's so many things like where you think about lemon or lime being the only source of, of sour that you're adding to dishes, right? And a lot of that flavor profile can be added with pickled uh, vegetables. Where does wine fit into your food? I mean, obviously the, the restaurant's called Aquavit, and there is quite a bit of Aquavit on the menu, but does wine have a place in Nordic cuisine? Is that your first choice of beverage to be paired? It's definitely a first choice, and we're very seafood-heavy. I would say almost 90% seafood on the menu as of the moment, and I am extremely fond of sparkling white wines Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that route to go. Unfortunately, I can't just put that on every single dish. Yes, you can. I disagree. uh, Yes, you can. (laughs) You're in charge. I tried a while ago and we ended up having like five Mm -hmm. champagnes next to each other. And I was like, okay, maybe that's a little bit too much. I do feel like we're coming into that uh, era where you can actually pair a lot of red wines uh, with seafood as well. And a lot of dishes that I'm starting to build. I have that mindset a little bit when I do, because I do want to see red on the menu as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I try dialing back a little bit and not making the dishes too uncomplicated for our summer year to pair with. Obviously, you always want to create your vision and you want to create the dish that you have in your mind, but there's so much more to dining in a restaurant of a caliber where it has to coexist with a wine as well. It could be the best dish in the world, but if you can't drink anything with it without it tasting horribly, then a little bit, what's the point? How do you work with your wine team at the restaurant? As a Sam, I'm, I don't even know where I would begin with Nordic cuisine with the salt and the acid and the preservation and all the different fishes and the seasonality of it. So at, where in the process are you guys working together? Are you putting out new dishes weekly and tasting them with a the team there's been a couple of sober years during my time here, and they have a lot of struggles in the beginning, mm-hmm. finding a new profile that they're not familiar with. After a while, they come to terms with the flavor profile a little bit more so they can anticipate uh, when I'm coming up with a dish, we can talk about it and they can start to figure out in what direction I'm working towards. And then, then they get to taste it bring their suggestions to the table and then we taste it together. And, and normally there would be a couple of different options and, and we decide on which ones are the best, but I am not the best at wine mm. and I'm okay with not being mm-hmm. very good at it. Uh, I know what I like and that's about it. I think you're a little busy doing some other things right now. So I, I think that's probably fair. Well, thank you. I promise you none of them can put out food like you can. So uh-huh, you know, everyone 100%. has their strength. <laughs> what are what are some of your highlights on the menu right now? Like as terms in terms of like the fish you're serving or, or dishes that you're really excited about or things that you're excited about with this next season? 
Well, I'm looking mostly for a lot of the green stuff. Everything from the miner's lettuce will be showing up soon. Uh, nettles actually just arrived. So that's exciting. What do you do with nettles? You do everything from nettle soup to frying some of them as chips mm. uh, or a crispy component. And they'll also go into um, a lentil component ah. to bring a little bit of a spring flavor to it. Chef, what's the profile of a nettle? Well, nettle is a, a weed. Mm-hmm. It takes over mm-hmm. everything it grows around. And it has a little bit of a, a similarity to poison ivy, kind of. Like yeah. you do not want to eat them raw, per se. And they do um, have little needles on them. Okay. They can get very itchy if you don't have gloves on them. So you do def- definitely want to cook them in one way or another. But they taste almost like, and I say this in the best way, like spring grass. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I like spring um, grass. Yeah. <laughs> spring grass and like a little Gruner Veltliner. That definitely sounds like something that I would leave to the chefs. I don't think I'm going to be bringing home nettles anytime soon. But what about things that we can do at home? Are there ways of preserving that you think are that, you know, people can be tapping into or getting inspired by Nordic cuisine that can easily replicate it at home? Well, the most base thing that you can really do that's not very out there and not too complicated is obviously to turn all your fruits and berries into uh, jams and preserves. Mm-hmm. Okay. But also if you really want to embark on the aquavit trend too, it's uh, if you have nice berries or fruits to put them in, uh, in vodka ah. and kind of create your own little aquavit out of it. And then uh, that could preserve throughout the winter too. I've done lemons in our garage. We did like, you know, a lemon like a limoncello. I guess that counts as preserving the fruit. We thought about it as making like, you know, <laughs> alcohol. But um, I love that idea. And that's really easy, right? It's like a two-step process yeah. that just takes a little bit of time. And everyone has like extra veg, right, during the season. When you pickle, uh, you probably want to go towards vegetables that has a little bit of a heartier core structure to it they will preserve Mm -hmm. longer if you have a vegetable that has more water contents in them Mm. they will preserve a little bit less in the time frame but uh, easy recipe is what we called uh, one two three one part vinegar two parts sugar three parts water Mm. i love that but the most important thing is to have everything sanitized and clean and and then that will preserve longer i think i'd rather you just do it and i'll just (laughs) leave the restaurant (laughs) But that sounds amazing. We've got just a handful of questions before we let you go from our audience. What is the most exciting season for you? For me, it is definitely spring because you're coming out from a season with root vegetables and everything is kind of brown or beige or uh, you're starting to run out of things and get the opportunity to spring into all the greens coming. I know Summer is exciting, but everything in the summer goes so fast. Yeah. And I really do love when you get to pick everything from the beginning. It has a Me too. rejuvenation process of it, seeing everything start over, new life. Yeah. Fresh start. I love it. What dishes can I make with preserved fish? I know I have a favorite, which is just like grilled toast, a hunk of butter, and then some sardines. But chef, I assume you have some of your own favorites? I was thinking a little bit about it. And and one of those things that we used to do a lot growing up was if you have 
preserved uh, salmon mm-hmm. or any anything like that. We do this potato pudding kind of mm. where it's layers of potato, dill, salmon, and then you pour almost like an egg custard over it and slow bake it in the oven. And uh, it comes out almost like a lasagna, but it's preserved fish in it. And it's absolutely delicious. Oh my gosh. Is there a name for that dish that people could Google for the recipe? I only know it in Swedish, but I can say it in Swedish if you want. Yes, say it in Swedish. Lux pudding. <laughs> this is a th- third question. Why do Nordic countries eat dinner so early? I don't think I knew that. Is that a real thing? It gets dark really early. Oh, <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the summertime where it's light out, I think we just have that in our culture too to eat a little bit earlier so that you can relax afterwards. What's the latest reservation you take at at the restaurant? Here we do 9.30, so. Does that blow your mind that people can sit down and have dinner at 9.30 still? Yes. (laughs) It does. Last question, Lori, before we go, because I know you got to get to service. Your favorite local spots to dine in New York City, you have a garden of options. So where do you like to eat? Well, at the moment right now, my uh, one of my best friends actually opened up uh, Coleman, uh, Marcus uh, Glucker. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, it's such a fun space to go into and just uh, relax and eat good food. And, and he's pretty similar to, to my way of cooking. So I know the flavor profile and I, I really love the European uh, version of it. Uh, he's Austrian, so it comes in there. Chef, we had so much fun, but I know you got to get to service. And yeah. what a treat to talk about all things Nordic cuisine. Chef Emma, you can find her at Aquavit, two Michelin starred restaurant on 55th Street, along with all of the delicious preserved foods, delicious wines, a whole selection of Aquavit, some very cool cocktails that I was eyeing up as well. Oh, yes. Lots of drinking options there. Guys, if you are not subscribed to this podcast and you haven't left us a review, now is your final chance. Raise a glass and then put it down and then write us a review. And then what you're going to do is go ahead into the description and click the link that says Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast Wine Club. And you're going to click that and you're going to join and you're going to come party with us. It's a great time. We drank a delicious white burgundy today. Laura Coffer, thank you so much for being here today. It was a pleasure to co-host with you. Yeah, this was a ton of fun. Thank you guys yeah. both for joining me uh, from the East Coast. And Chef, it was a, a, a real pleasure. Well, thank you guys for having me. This is fun. Yes. And I get to drink in the middle of the day. That's yes. <laughs> We're all for that. Yes. It's not just the Psalms that get to do it. It's the chefs too. Guys, this is the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda McCrossin. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you to our associate producer, Laura Coffer. We'll see you all soon. Mm-hmm.